Hello, it's Robin uh, from filmotomy.com. Today we're going to be discussing a short film which we wanted to include in our Fem Filmmakers Festival last year, uh, but was was yet unreleased. But the director, Rora Family, is joining me today. We've um, kind of got back in touch, and she's agreed that I could watch the film and sort of discuss it now, which I'm really privileged to. So she's the director. I'm also joined by the composer of the music, uh, Mike Ladisser. Uh, so hello, both of you, and thank you for joining me. Hi, Robin. Thanks for having us. Great stuff. So we'll have a quick chat about the film. I've got some questions. Uh, as I said, I've watched it numerous times, uh, purely for research. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and I believe it's now available to stream. So I mean, firstly, sh- should we... St- Sort of where, where can people find it if we want them to watch this film? Where, where can they go and get it and watch it? Um, well, we've released it with a company called Dust. Um, and so their website, I think, it's just called watchdust.com. And the distributor is a company called Gunpowder and Sky, who also have a channel called Alter for horror. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's free to see online now. Fantastic. Um, so I'll start with you, Aurora, then, basically. What, what is it you do in the industry? At the moment, what's your role in the film industry? And tell us a little bit about what you've made so far. Uh, I'm a writer director. Um, I've been an actor for quite a long time as well. Primarily at the moment, I'm, I'm writing for radio, I'm writing for TV, I'm writing a feature, hopefully. And I've done, I think, about seven or eight professional shorts now, this being the biggest and most ambitious of, of all of them. Mm. Um, and before that, I, I used to do music videos, commercials, I was an editor for maybe 10 years as well. Wow. Anything that I could do with my film school education to make a bit of money as a freelancer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike, what about yourself? Uh, so I'm a composer, uh, which I sort of specialize mostly in film. Um, and uh, I'm also an educator. I, I teach at Royal College of Music and up at Cambridge University. Um, and I've been um, yeah, just doing lots of... Uh, as I said, mostly films, um, but I'm now in the process of putting out my debut artist album, uh, which should be coming out later this year. Wow, excellent. So that's sort of a big sci-fi orchestral ambient electronic crossover uh, that should be coming out with Warp Publishing. Okay, can we we find you on Spotify or anything like that? Uh, You can find me on Spotify. Uh, Just search my name, Mike Latticer. Fantastic. Um, so yeah, the Pulse. I've, I've watched it. Um, really enjoyed it. I looked at the sort of the films you've made before, and this seems like you say it's the biggest one. Um, so science fiction is that something? I mean, first of all, what do you think audiences like about science fiction films? What we all say there's, there's a group of people that love it, but what is it we love about sci-fi? I think it's a world, isn't it? It's like buying into an entire world. Whether or not it's a world that's similar to ours in the future or the past, or looking at a technological idea about if we followed one uh, faucet of society's behaviour to an extreme, what would it look like? How would we behave? I just think science fiction examines humanity, but from a safe distance of it not happening right here and now. Yeah, I think you've got that sort of what it's like to be in space generally is that unknown i think there's something quite like a horror film we like to be scared i think there's something in that with sci-fi as well that we want to sort of be a little bit cringed by what we don't understand you know i think that's certainly the case 
not so much with Star Wars, but but films like Moon, <laughs> Moon Blade Runner, you know. Uh, I, I think something interesting about sci-fi, um, I mean, what I love about it personally, but is that because you've already bought in, because you've already suspended disbelief, it sort of gives you the free license to uh, look at yourself in a different perspective. And so I think then the breadth of uh, narrative and the storytelling can be so much deeper because you've already kind of given up on a certain, uh, you know, real aspect of it. Yeah. So you have a lot more creative license, I think, narratively. So a question to you both, then, is inspirations. I mean, I can guess a few. Blade Runner, I'm going to say Alien, the kind of the ambience of the of the interiors, and, and maybe Moon as well, I'm not sure. But but for both of you, really, what, what, ins- what um, inspiration did you take into this? Well, I pitched this film in 2012, so there's quite a few projects that hadn't happened then that I was referencing. What I what I used in my mood board and I cut a, a reel together were films like Danny Boyle's Sunshine, I used Event Horizon, I used Alien 3, um, basically any of the... Oh, there was a film called, not called Contagion, it's a good one, it's Ben Foster's in it, and they wake up in the future, what's that one called? It wasn't that well known, but I, I thought it was really well done. Um, and it was Berlin. It was a, ger- a German company, sci-fi. But basically, any of the science fiction films in space where it's dirty, it's grimy, things are rustic, it's industrial, um, versus the kind of Star Trek world where everything looks like an Apple store. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about you, Mike? Did anything influence your music? Is it something you're already working on? Uh, well, something that we kind of talked about, Rona and I, in our uh, collaboration was, um, you know, some of the, sort of, I think, the early tent music we used was some of Johan Johansson's, mm-hmm. uh, which sort of stuck to some degree, because I think, I mean, he just had, you know, one of the most unique voices, I think, um, you know, that, that we've had today. Um, and so I, I think kind of what I really liked about that sort of, you know, some of these industrial sounds, uh, we kind of picked and pulled from that, and then I took that, um, I, I grab a lot of influence from other sort of like pop production or electronic music in kind of taking found sound and then, uh, you know, manipulating it and coming up with new uh, sounds altogether, you know, kind of creating somewhat like analog synths, but out of, you know, just the, the sound of, I, I think at one point used uh, like chicken bones clacking together, you know, to create... Uh, a sort of percussive bit in the score, um, you know, or, or taking different um, percussion instruments and then making them into sustained lines with these, you know, huge reverbs. And uh, so I think it was kind of constructing a lot of that uh, to sort of build that sound world a bit. Hello? I must speak with you. A moment. for among lumps of rock yeah the sound design on the film is really impressive as well i think often watch some films you'll watch and the sound can be a bit choppy or you know budget permitting this one seems to have quite 
an extensive attention to detail, which I'll come on to in a moment. But the the budget, I mean, is it something in the vision? So when you wrote it or when you envisioned it, you're like, well, this is going to be expensive. And did you know what your budget was going to be? You know, was there any kind of restrictions there? Oh, yeah, there were huge restrictions. So Pulsar was made out of winning a competition called The Pitch. And you have a very strict brief when you're pitching for this this particular competition of what they want. And you know from the start that you're only going to get 25000 which sounds like a lot of money. But when you've made short films for many years, you know that you know it, no matter how many favours you call in, you're going to be at a minimum of £10,000 for a 15-minute short over three days. So when you're wanting to pitch a project with extensive visual effects, a set build and an exterior location, and I even knew at that stage that it was gonna it was gonna be that kind of world. When I won, the first thought I had in my head was, oh crap, I have to make the film that I just pitched. Because I even at that point I did I knew it was gonna be ambitious on the money. Um, and then that, that began a whole new process of what I thought I knew about visual effects versus what an actual effect I needed to learn and to make make the project the way that I wanted to make it, which was to, to keep high production values even though the budget wasn't gonna stretch which is why it took four years to complete. Oh, wow. I didn't know it took that long, actually, yeah. I suppose <laughs> you don't watch it, though. It's almost like you, when someone cooks you a Sunday dinner, it takes eight hours to cook it, and you eat it in yeah. 20 minutes. That's, you know? exactly, that's what you want with film, and I think only other filmmakers ever sit there and, and go, oh, I wonder about X, Y, and Z on a film set, or how that happened. But it, you want an audience to not be thinking about how it was made. If you were thinking about that, then you weren't enjoying the film, so I'm, I'm pleased that you ate it quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I ate it again and again and again. You know, I was, uh, I was never full. Um, yeah, so the attention to detail, some of the stuff I'll, I'll mention is um, the the I think it's the guy, when he wakes up and he's got the transmission that drops off the off the bed and the, you can sort of see the glow on his face and later on when they've got the the, the the three women have got their sort of like the minority report I don't know what you would call it a, a transmission um, kind of like an interior we call it control panel yeah way. and I like that even when it wasn't in the shot there was still a glow and then when you had it sort of in between us and the, and the character you could have just left it you know I thought oh, we're not gonna have that in the shot the audience won't remember but you actually had the you know, the attention to do that. And I, I was really impressed by that. I mean, is that sort of stuff when you're writing that you think, well, I want that, or is a lot of that in the process of production? I, I think because I hadn't done it before, and I knew that I, I knew I had a level of naivety going into visual effects, that I tried to ask every person that I could who knew something to give me their advice. So in a way, I, I brought in a guy called Paddy Eason, who'd done at that point, I think, 50 you know he's a visual effects supervisor for if you look at his imdb it's insane he's done everything and i sent him the script before we finished and i said i want you to tell me where i'm going to mess up i want you to tell me where my my inexperience is going to cause a problem um and he really gave me advice and feedback on how he would if he was on a fully you know 250 million pound film how he would be costing and affecting looking at everything so i could start to look at what i needed and what i didn't so I was getting feedback at a really early stage on what I, my world and how I could achieve it. And also thinking about what I was going to sacrifice um, for other bits. So the, the central panel where we have actors moving around it, we spent two days of rehearsing before we even cast with workshop actors, with the cinematographers, Phil Wood, um, Bell Mundy, who's production designer. And we mapped out an actual replica of the space of the interior and we blocked actors just to see how many times they were crossing the space so that 
we knew how many shots were going to be in visual effects where we'd be rotoscoping. And then we wanted to work backwards and say, okay, for the first half of the scene, actors can only move in this half of the room because it's going to be too expensive. <laughs> but we that was that that's the kind of attention to detail that I had to think about. And even then it completely did get away from that. Everything you plan to do, I think you need a twenty five percent contingency for visual effects that you're not you need more than you think you're gonna need, even with careful planning. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. That's, that sounds really boring. Is that really boring? But no, that no, was... No. <laughs> There's only so much you can do when you're watching a short film with a human human mentality, you know, And but that's the stuff you notice. And I think if you, if those glows weren't there and the lights in the background, I think he's got... The guy's got lights behind him that almost... They don't flicker, they're kind of dim. You know, it's that, yeah. it's that kind of thing that I, I notice, and I'm sure other people will notice. Where they're not there, you know, subconsciously, you're not going to get the same kind of out-of-world effect you know so i think it really really helps uh, on the cast casting side i mean how, what is the cast how did you cast these i mean obviously one of them is a couple of them are very kind of well known and also your, your crew like mike i mean how did you acquire such a such a you know really good good crew um casting was interesting so when i when i pitched this project um david jesse who's the lead was actually on the panel of people who were selecting uh, film for this fund and one of the things he said was you know I, I really liked this because it's such a good character arc it's the kind of character I would play and so when I wrote the script I thought I know it's cheeky but I'm going to send it to David <laughs> and uh, we were just very very lucky that he had a, a gap in between having done Interstellar and doing the PR for that and then he was starting a show in America in Atlanta called Containment and we just had this window where he could do it and in a way, that was a domino effect because once he came on board, um, pretty much all the big agencies wanted their up-and-coming young actress to work with David because he'd done Interstellar, he was doing Annihilation, he was, you know, he's, he's definitely very much a top A-list actor who's worked with Christopher Nolan for a long time. Um, and so then we kind of had the pick of the bunch in terms of young actresses coming in. Um, and it was Jesse Buckley at that point had only done one TV role, which I think was a, an episode of Endeavour. But there was just something about her in the room. They don't give high-grade ships to ex-cons. No one cares if we die out here. Why is this happening? This is something beyond our understanding. Our problem is in here, not out there. She came in to read for Kyle, actually. And I just thought there's something about her. And we asked her to just read for Casa. And, um, yeah, it was almost as if she prepared that role instead. It's so strange. She just could read both parts instantly. Um, and I thought she'll go anywhere. She'll, I have to have her. <laughs> she'll have to go anywhere in the team. Um, Anna Koval had done so much tally by that point. She was great as the captain. And um, to hear her, I'd seen on in different theatre productions for a while on the National Theatre. And I, when she came in, I just thought she's so perfect for this. So the cast kind of came together really well. Um, and I did try and keep. I mean, David was busy really busy so we didn't, couldn't get him into rehearsals but the girls I could get in together which was great because they're meant to be a bonded team so that that worked well getting them on set as a as a group yeah and have you worked with Mike I suppose how did you how did you get on board Pulsar then I mean have you have you two worked together before uh no actually I mean it was uh just sort of serendipitous I mean uh Aurora and I had met at uh a film talent lab in Iceland um and yeah, we just had, I don't know, a great week together, you know, with a bunch of other really talented filmmakers. And um, and Aurora was well into uh, post-production with Pulsar at that point. 
Um, and so, you know, and I had been seeing updates and, you know, visual effects updates and stuff and just thought, oh, God, I wish I could be a part of this thing. Um, and then eventually a call came through um, and it just seemed, you know, it was the right opportunity. And, um, you know, and then coming in, I mean, it was it was a really easy collaboration, actually, uh, you know, in, in many ways, because we had just, you know, I think had a quite a similar idea for what we wanted to do with it. Um, so there was never really, you know, a kind of like trying to get a different point of view or try to get your idea across. It was like, hey, I, I sort of read the scene in this way, and this is where I think the role of music could be for this. And it was like, yeah, you know, you took, took the words out of my mouth. Uh, so I thought, um, I mean, it was just a really great collaboration. Um, and just seeing, you know, I think the, the lengths that Aurora had gone to to pull everything together and all of the other great cast and crew involved was really inspiring. You know, when you've got a, a really great team, it really pushes you as well um, to just deliver, you know, beyond beyond any anything you've done before. Yes, yeah, I will I'll flatter you now and say that it is a great, it is a great score. And it, and it works. Uh, not many films can do it. I think Ex Machina did it, where it's almost like the score is not it's not overbearing like some films can be it's just part of the sound design almost part of the mood you barely notice it but that's what's so great about it and you know and it kind of carries you through i think that's that's i'm giving you a compliment there i think but it sounds a bit but yeah thank you i uh that's good cop company to be in <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you know i could really reel off some more, but i thought of that because of the, the the science fiction films they're making now i kind of like this like Sam Rockwell on Moon, you know, the that like he's mentioned the dirty space, the I know in your film you had um it was almost like I'm gonna describe it as like the purple walls, it was like um it'd been raining, you know, and the paint's still wet. It was yeah. it, it was like that and it really worked. You know, that kind of industrial that Robin because one of the things you're saying of influences is, is not just looking at science fiction but I looked at lots of submarine films mm. because what you're talking about about a uh, you know like a horror the idea of everyone trapped in a small space even a spaceship can be a massive space but if you're trapped together in a massive old industrial creaky ship which is what they are then actually the, the best comparisons were looking at those old submarine films and people losing their minds and, and, and in a way he's kind of walking the plank by having to to leave the boat the way that he does, yeah. so that was, and it kind of it kind of lent itself really well to the sound design, the the structure of the ship looking more metallic than it would um, in the, these kind of uh, beautiful films now, where everything feels like it's a piece of coral or a geometric structure. We were going back to a mixture of the future and past technologies. Yeah, absolutely. I think it works. I think so with your camera. Just a question about the camera work. I suppose you, the the exterior shots are just magnificent. I mean, the, the I wish I could watch this on IMAX. You know, go to Sheffield and watch it there. You know, just for those exterior shots. But what I like as well is that the interior shots. You you don't you aren't very flashy. You know, and that's good because you could have gone this zoomed in and. Other than budget, do you have like personal restrictions for like you don't want to be too flashy? You just want it to be well. This is how it is, you know. And maybe zoom a little bit, pan a little bit. Do you have any other restrictions other than budget? Yeah, I think I think do you know. And I said at the beginning about having worked with, with VFX for the first time is um, we didn't have as much camera motion in there and as much depth of field as you'd like. 
because we were aware that we were adding in a lot of things that weren't going to be seen on screen, but everyone was going to be interacting with. So there was definitely um, decisions being made about about what was going to be the emphasis, about shooting in a potentially more simple style for the interiors to give post-production the biggest room in, at the end. So that's definitely one aspect. Phil Wood, who was a cinematographer, we shot on an Alexa. We wanted, you know, as much as much range as possible. Um, and there, there were some the considerations to make in terms of space. We wanted it to feel contained and claustrophobic. And I, I get a bit sick of having very handheld camera motion right on people's faces. I think a lot of short films feel like you get emotion out of being close all the time. And I think there's something to be said for seeing the full room and for seeing scope. This is why we're only really using close-ups when you need them. I think it's important to to see the space. And when you've got yeah, when you've got like great sets like that, you, you want to see the sets. You don't want to be seeing all the faces all the time. <laughs> no offense to those actors, obviously. Um, They're lovely faces. Yeah, I could have made better use of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jesse Buckley's the timing is is incredible because she's she's just like the probably the most biggest British sort of actor at the moment what she's churning out so it's great that this might i don't know if this might help you i'm not sure because i'm sure she'll be talking about this uh in interviews i don't know are you aware that she is i don't know she's doing wild rose at the moment um yeah. i was more in contact with her when she was doing beast um and then i think she signed to an american agency and it was all like robbie downey jr productions like dr doolittle and judy garland Rene zellweger and and she's just a machine She's just non-stop, but she's still the loveliest person. And uh, the the hope in any way is not so much that she promotes me, it's just that this film does well, uh, that she does well, and that we work together again on something. That's really the hope, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so just my final sort of question, merely to, to do with the actual film, um, not a sci-fi question. The, the kind of your characters, you've got the kind of battle of the sexist thing. I think you're going to get a lot of people interpreting this and the, you know the the females and the male is that something in conception and development that you wanted in the story or was this just a consequence of of the narrative almost well it's, it's taking it from from the pitch of looking at um because it's referencing old seafaring folk so if, i don't know like if it, i grew up in the north and if you've got they've got a lot of uh, superstitions like this this is playing a lot on religion and superstition yeah. and a lot of superstitions are if you have a woman on board a, a ship it was bad luck and it has been considered for a long time and so i was just playing a reverse on that that yeah. these are very superstitious group of people and they have the the opposite kind of stigma that you know bad luck to have a guy on board in the way that a hundred years ago it was bad luck to have a woman on board a ship at sea you know anything that can make something go wrong or uh, upset a god or, or upset the sea um that was kind of playing more on that, it's just subverting it rather than making a statement about gender. Yeah. But I mean, I've read the comments on YouTube and, and there's, there's no, I mean, you're not supposed to, are you? You're never supposed to open that door. But, um, <laughs> but I did read some of the comments and I just thought it was really interesting um, that people will get very riled up by that one statement. It was bad luck to have a man on board and they're just very upset. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, I'm quite open-minded with things like this and I think... I, I wasn't going when I asked you the question. I wasn't thinking like, well, that's a bit sexist. But people, I think, are gonna are gonna be that way. And yeah, like you said, maybe don't read the comments. But I think that feedback will get to you eventually. But 
but even before even before I'd shot the film, I had a reporter on the set who wanted to do a piece on the film, and they looked around and went, "Oh, so you're a female director making a film with mainly female actors? What are you trying to say?" And I said to her, "I said, well, if I was a male director with all men, would you ask me what I was trying to say, or would you just have noticed that that hadn't been said before? Like it just hadn't, it's just not done as frequently. So somebody, everybody thinks you're making a point just because they haven't seen it, rather than it just hasn't existed like that." Yeah. A ship full of ex-cons and the knife points at the peacemaker. How prophetic. Your position doesn't make you better than any of us. If you truly believe I'm the cause of this, throw me off the ship. You can die in here with us, or you can die out there. It makes little difference now. But if you are the target, we might survive. I, mean, I like that. I like the idea that uh, he was a peacekeeper, and they were like they were like ex-cons almost. But you That's it. Yeah. yeah. And one particular thing I really liked is at the end when it went dark, and you were you were kind of illuminated them and the tattoos, and they almost looked like aliens. Really weird, you know. I really like that. It's a backstory. So the idea is that they're all from the same prison, and one of the ways that they're identified when they're in there is they are tattooed with this invisible ink gun. So if they were to leave, the prison goes dark, and you can always see them, so there's no way of them hiding or escaping. It's like a kind of part of the prison security. So even when they've all left and they've got this boat, and let's just say they've got this ship, an asteroid mining vessel on the outskirts of of the galaxy and it's a really tough job and no one wants to do it but it's the only thing that prisoners ex-prisoners can do it's their one business so when they lose light you see it's kind of like a like a reminder of who they really are not so much as in aliens but they're convicts but it's it's like you say with the detail there's a lot that's gone into the story world that no one's going to notice you might go oh they just look quite cool don't they yeah <laughs> i mean i don't mean literally literally like, oh they're aliens oh my god but uh, it's like it plants that in your head, you know, aliens, criminals, however you want to group a certain type of people, even if they're protagonists. I thought that was, yeah. and that, that backstory of just, that makes, to me, makes it more interesting, you know. Um, and people might pick up on that. You know, that's something we've seen before, so that that, that probably works really well. Some people will probably get that straight away, you know. So, so, so it's a rich story. If it's a rich story world, even if people don't get what it means, they go, well, that's that's interesting. There's something going on there, and I think that's, there was a lot to explore, and you have to just choose a very simple story arc for a short film, but it's a bigger world, so hopefully it's got that richness to it that people are just curious, and, and that's enjoyable, I, I hope, anyway. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the three-dimensional characters, definitely, you know, the, they've all got tensions, you don't really need to ask any questions, you know that they've all got, those three women, they're all so very different. You know, one's, yeah. one's really meek, one's kind of doing all the talking, one's quite aggressive, you know, and you can see there's a, there's a background to them that you perhaps don't really need to know, but everything's in there, you know, in your script and in the in the way you've made it as well. So it's a really good film. I was so impressed. Uh, and my kids watched it as well. I have a oh, wow. six-year-old, and she said at the end with the illuminating bit with the aliens, she said, why are they monsters? So oh. there's an interpretation for it from a six-year-old. <laughs> But they loved it. They wanted to watch it again. Oh, it's brilliant! Oh my god, what a lovely, a lovely feedback as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's, actually there's a bit of there's a bit of blood in it, so I had to like distract them. But you know, they really enjoyed it. You know, both my other my little boy's only three, and he was gripped. So oh. critics all over the world, all over <laughs> all age groups. Oh, sci-fi. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll, yeah, they'll have to be now. Um, 
just to finish then, what I'll, I'll go to you, Mike. What have you got planned next? Um, you, you mentioned your sort of your, your album. Uh, are you going to collaborate with other filmmakers? Yeah, I mean, I've always got you know a, a few films kind of uh, at various stages going on. Um, but the the biggest thing kind of up next for me is my album. Um, so. Yeah, very much looking forward to that. I'm going to be launching uh, probably end of August this year. Um, and, yeah, I'm kind of, uh, I've just spent two days uh, mixing. And I'm going to be kind of doing another day uh, next week and then do mastering and pressing vinyl and all of that. So kind of still a, a few pieces of that puzzle to iron out. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it and the whole album uh sort of fits along with this in that it's a kind of uh sci-fi narrative um concept album um so yeah very excited for that to come out fantastic i have to say mike's been very modest because he he's done an awful lot of film work and he's very much into man to work with and i've worked with him again since and i would hope I hope his album takes off in a huge way, but I also hope I get to work with him again. So, yeah, keep, watch this space for him. <laughs> well, absolutely. I, I would clear my schedule to do it again. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> Go. I'll write you something. Do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Robbie, you mentioned a feature film. I, know I always ask people who make shorts, do you want to make a feature film? Do you have anything else, any other shorts coming up and a feature film? Well, actually, I made a short last year, which is not a sci-fi film at all, for a, a, a friend called Paparazzo about a female photographer in London um, who's, who's struggling and, and stops being a, a, an artistic photographer and joins the paparazzi. And it's all about the world celebrity and gossip magazines. Quite a different thing. But I'm making a feature film called Tipping Point, which is with a producer in Sheffield called Jude Goldry, whose production company is Luna Lander. And that's a sci-fi thriller, and it's based on the northern lights having an effect on people's cognitive behaviour and a scientist who starts to experiment with them. Oh. Yeah, there's a bit of northern lights in, around your spaceship as well, I noticed. And wow. What, that... when I, yeah, the guy that did all the spaceships is a guy called Steve Askey in Sheffield. He's like a one-man miracle. Um, and when I saw how well he could do the northern lights, I thought, oh, this is amazing because I've got a project where there's a lot of northern lights. So... I hopefully can hire Steve again for a few years. Well, yeah, it's, it's a really good film. I'm gonna I'm gonna plug it, and with the you know Fem Filmmakers Festival coming up, you know perhaps perhaps you could submit it there, and we could we could certainly show it show it there again, you know, and hopefully you can be involved. So I think it's I think it's gonna take off with my film crowd anyway. I've I've asked all my team to watch it. So oh, thank you. I'll get some feedback. Um, so thank you, Aurora. Thank you, Mike, for joining me. Uh, I do appreciate that. Where, where can we find you? Is there anyone like Twitter? Is there anywhere, any websites you'd like to plug? Uh, sure. Mine's just uh, myname.com. So it's just mikelatticer.com. Fantastic. Uh, it's, a, it's a tricky spelling, but once you get it. And then you can find me the same on you know Facebook or Instagram uh, and all that. Marvellous. Um, I'm always under two names. So it's either Aurora Fernley, which is like instagram or twitter or facebook but i'm also under my production company name which is little northern light yeah. so you can find that at littlenorthernlight.com um around places <laughs> fantastic so uh, thank you once again and everybody listening reading go watch pulsar if you've got 20 minutes to spare you won't regret it all right thank you very much for you both joining me and hopefully we'll speak again on your next project i'm real delight thank you robin thank you thank you for watching. cheers all right bye-bye now <laughs>
Bye, guys.